This podcast is intended for healthcare professionals. The information presented is for general educational purposes only and should not be used as professional medical advice or for the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions. The views and opinions expressed do not represent the views and opinions of our employer or any affiliated institution. Expressed opinions are based on scientific facts under certain conditions and subject to certain assumptions and should not be used or relied upon for any other purpose, including but not limited to the diagnosis or treatment of medical conditions or in any legal proceeding. Full terms and conditions can be found at portablebeads.com. And now onto the episode. Howdy and welcome to Portal Beads, the pediatric board view podcast. I'm Ryan. And I'm Sam. So today we've got a special bonus episode for you guys about osteopathic medicine. So Sam and I are both DOs, which stands for Doctor of Osteopathic Medicine here in America. And we're going to talk about kind of what that means, the differences between osteopathic uh, doctors as DOs versus MDs, and kind of what OMM is. So this is not necessarily related to ABP boards, but just a bonus fun episode for us to talk about OMM, which we both love. So let's jump right in. Per the AOA, the American Osteopathic Association, the osteopathic philosophy of medicine sees an interrelated unity in all systems of the body, with each working with each other to heal in times of illness. This also means that historically we've had a focus on preventative medicine as DOs. And of course, no presentation about OMM and DOs would be complete without quoting A.T. Still, the founder of osteopathy back in 1892, which is, to find health should be the object of the physician, anyone can find disease. But what are the practical differences between MD and DO physicians? So MDs are required to take the USMLE, steps 1 to 3 for licensure in America, but DOs are required to take COMLEX, levels 1 to 3 for licensure. However, DOs may optionally take steps 1 and 2 of the USMLE for residency applications to make them more competitive. MDs also have valid practice rights internationally in all countries. However, the practice rights of DOs vary internationally based on the country. For example, France has limited scope of practice for DOs because DO means something different internationally in some of the countries. Some countries also delineate this by saying American DO as opposed to just a blanket DO. Now, how are MD and DO physicians similar in America? So both types of physicians complete four years of medical school training, followed by residency training. And both DOs and MDs have full physician practice rights in all 50 U.S. states. But what parts of DO training are unique? Per the brief guide to osteopathic medicine published by AACOM, or the American Academy of Colleges of Osteopathic Medicine, osteopathic students also spend at least 200 hours of preclinical education learning about the history of osteopathic medicine, the core osteopathic principles, and the philosophies and OMM. Additionally, DO physicians are trained to approach medicine with a holistic mindset, evaluating the interplay and effects of physical, mental, and spiritual aspects in all of our patients. Now, before we go on talking about OMM and the physical applications of doing hands-on skills, we're going to do a quick survey plug. So we just released a survey. It's available on our website, on Twitter, on Facebook. And this survey is an anonymous, very brief survey to get your listener preferences. If you take the moment, it would mean the world to us. Please fill out the survey. It'll be open for a couple of months, and we'll let you know on our social media and on our podcast when the closed date will be. Thanks so much, and back to the episode. All right, guys. So I'm going to take you guys through what... OMM is and really what that looks like in clinic. 
or in the inpatient setting. So OMM, or osteopathic manipulative medicine, encompasses multiple different techniques used to treat structural and functional issues that are seen in the musculoskeletal system. And as you remember, the musculoskeletal system is comprised of all of our bones, joints, fascia, and muscles. And the goal of this really is to help restore inherent motion of body structure to allow the body to heal itself. So when it comes to doing OMM, you will hear a lot of terms used for both the diagnosis and treatment. So when we think about our diagnostic definitions, the first one that you'll hear commonly is somatic dysfunction. And this is the impaired or altered function of related components of the somatic system. So skeletal, arthroidal, and myofascial structures, as well as related vascular, lymphatic, and neural elements. And the nomenclature for somatic dysfunction will refer to the direction that a structure wants to go or ease. So for example, if rib two is an inhalation dysfunction, that means that rib two prefers inhalation as opposed to exhalation. So by comparison, restriction nomenclature refers to the direction that a structure does not want to go. So for example, rib 2 exhalation restriction is the same as saying an inhalation dysfunction. And when we think about talking about somatic dysfunction, we talk about the cardinal movements. So these will be flexion extension, so forwards and backwards bending, rotation, and side bending, which you can think of as lateral flexion or really bending side to side. Then we can think about our treatment definitions. And so you might see these documented as direct treatments and indirect treatments. For direct treatments, these are techniques that go towards restriction. Examples of these are HVLA, which is high velocity, low amplitude, or what you can think of as popping joints, muscle energy, which uses post-isometric relaxation to lengthen and relax muscles, and direct inhibition. For our indirect techniques, these are techniques that go away from restriction. So examples of these are counterstrain, which relaxes muscles using muscle spindle nerve fibers, FPR, or functional positional release, and that's basically counterstrain, but you're also adding an activating force, usually compression or traction, soft tissue, and then BLT, which is balanced ligamentous tension. Some of the techniques actually, though, can be used either in an indirect or a direct fashion, and these include MFR, or myofascial release, stills technique, and then cranial visceral techniques as well. Now we're going to shift gears a little bit and talk about kind of what to expect if you refer someone for OMM. So when a patient comes in, we're physicians first, OMM providers second. So all of the DO physicians who are coming to do OMM take a thorough, focused history and exam like we would with any other patient. And this is an updated thing with each visit. So it's not a preset determined technique set. It's based on what the patient presents with, and it's catered to the individual patient, not a treatment algorithm. We also coordinate treatment, including OMM, stretches, physical therapy, et cetera, based on what the patient needs and their presenting symptoms. Post-OMM, what to expect after the OMM visit, patients need to drink plenty of fluids since we move a lot of tissues during treatment, and patients can possibly get mildly dehydrated if they don't drink age-appropriate fluids. They may be increasingly sore for up to 24 hours, but they shouldn't have worsened pain if the OMM is done correctly. If so, they should go back and see their provider. Additionally, patients are often prescribed home stretches to perform to make sure that they are working on things in the interim rather than just coming for a treatment and not getting anything for a while. And depending on the treatment, sometimes patients need to be seen more frequently or less often. It can be anywhere from one to four weeks or even longer. Now we're gonna talk about common diagnoses benefiting from OMM. So why would you refer them in the first place? So low back pain is easily the most common referral for OMM in adults. Now we're pediatricians and kind of the things that we see pretty commonly are like back pain with some of our scoliotics, along with plagiocephaly and torticollis is something that we very commonly see. Um, You can often do OMM for muscle and joint pains, costochondritis, TMJ, uh, pregnancy, otitis media, constipation. Not everything is entirely pain-related, so constipation is a very common use that we use OMM for that's not pain-related. 
We also use it for headaches, asthma. Um, you can do rib techniques and diaphragm to help asthmatics breathe better, along with drainage techniques for sinusitis. You can treat menstrual pains, along with anxiety as well, just to name a few. But now we're going to talk about reimbursement. So let's put our money where our mouth is, literally. So reimbursement for OMM, which you might also see noted as OMT, or osteopathic manipulative treatment, which we're kind of moving and morphing into the same terminology, but it's based on how many regions are treated, so up to 10 body regions. These are the head, cervical, thoracic, and lumbar spine, sacral spine, pelvis, lower and upper extremity, rib cage, and abdomen and other regions. So those are 10 total regions. Now, per the physician fee schedule from the 2021 U.S. Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, reimbursements for OMT are comparable to other clinic visits. For example, a level three established clinic visit, which is the code 99213, reimburses $68.04 as a hospital price and $92.47 as a clinic price. This is the national average, and it might vary, obviously, by location, but this is just general numbers just to have a framework. Now, by comparison, OMT reimburses for every two body regions treated. So one to two body regions earns $32.10 in clinic with the code 98925. And it can go up to $86.88 if 9 to 10 body regions are treated, which is the code 98929. Now, again, I said 9 to 10 body regions is $86.88, whereas a level 3 established clinic visit, which might take about 15 minutes, is $92.47. And to make this even more complicated, those codes that I talked about that aren't the actual established clinic visit, the regions being treated, that's a procedure code and is added to, for example, that level three established clinic visit. So not only are you making the 9247, but you're also making the 8688. So this means that the procedure code is added to a clinic visit, billing code with a non-OMM diagnosis, such as chronic lumbar back pain. So a 30 minute dedicated OMM clinic visit can basically make the same revenue as two independent 15 minute clinic visits, as long as you're treating and billing appropriately. Now, Sam, you wanna talk about evidence-based medicine? Absolutely. So a lot of the evidence that we see for OMM is actually published in the adult literature. For example, Cooley and colleagues published an article in April 2021 discussing the cost comparison of OMT plus the standard of care versus just the standard of care for patients with chronic low back pain. In this article, the authors reported a statistically significant decreased use of interventional therapies, opioids, and radiological services in patients who received standard of care with OMT when compared to patients receiving standard of care without OMT. Unfortunately, this article only followed patients for a few months, as we expect the findings and cost savings to be even more profound if we track them over a longer period of time. This leads to the downside of evidence-based medicine when it comes to OMM. Unfortunately, there are just very few OMM studies or evidence-based medicine articles. Of those that exist, even fewer show statistically significant results. Even fewer are studied in the pediatric population. And I actually worked with a few of my colleagues at Nationwide Children's to do a scoping review of pediatric OMM, and we published our findings in pediatrics in February 2021. So only 30 articles met our inclusion and exclusion criteria, and of these, less than 30% were graded as strong clinical evidence, but even at this point, no clinical recommendations can be made given this data. So this means we need more DOs at all levels to conduct methodologically sound clinical research in the realm of OMT to really bolster this evidence base and support its use in mainstream evidence-based clinical practice. That's actually gonna wrap it up for us today, so let that be your call to action, and don't forget your other call to action, do the survey. It'll really mean the world to us and share this podcast with your friends so everyone can benefit. Thanks guys. Happy studying. Thanks guys.